Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. Welcome to another episode of 20-Minute Bible Studies. Romans 10:17 says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Over the next several minutes, you're going to hear an important message directly from God's Word and have your faith and knowledge increased. All you have to do is listen. Now, here are your teachers. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jordan Pine. And I'm Andy Baylog. Let's get started. Today we're going to be studying a pair of verses you often hear during the holiday season, but we're going to show you how it reveals something so much deeper than you might think. Join us now as we listen to the Word of God. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Galatians 4, 4 and 5. The phrase that most focus on from this passage, Andy, and typically during the holiday season, is God sent forth his son, born of a woman. This indeed ties in with the Christmas story very nicely, and there's nothing wrong with focusing on that phrase at all to tell, you know, the story of Christmas. Sure. But those with spiritual ears will hear clearly another phrase from this passage that has deep meaning, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Okay, Jordan, so let's use the space method to bring the meaning of this phrase to light. Space is an acronym that we created. The SP stands for speaker, A for audience. C for context, and E for explanation. And we created this acronym to remind Bible students to think about who was speaking and to whom, what was happening at the time, and then the theme and message of the verses leading up to the scripture reading. So Jordan and I believe it's critical to consider these things before attempting to interpret scripture. So let's go ahead and do that now. Okay, the speaker is the Apostle Paul. Galatians 1.1 says, Paul, an apostle not sent from men nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. So Paul starts his letter by reminding the reader that he is a full apostle of Jesus Christ. You know, the other apostles were chosen and educated by Jesus while he was on the earth, of course. They were disciples. But Paul was not among them, so there were some doubts at this time about his authority. And, you know, Paul uses the first chapter of Galatians to remind the churches that He was chosen by Jesus, in fact. As we read in Acts of the Apostles, Jesus himself stopped him on the road to Damascus, temporarily blinding him and giving him his new purpose. You know, Paul then adds to the story and fills in the missing piece, which was his education. He explains that after he received back his sight on the road to Damascus, that he went away to Arabia for three years and that he was taught the gospel. But as he says in verse 16, not by flesh and blood, And the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, he writes in Galatians chapter 1. And then he says later in verses 11 to 12, I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. 
So the Apostle Paul, like the other apostles, was taught directly by Jesus himself, and in fact, he received a special gospel, which he calls my gospel in many of his letters. The audience is the churches at Galatia, and that's found in verse 2 of the first chapter. Notice that it's churches plural. This is the only one of Paul's letters addressed to churches in multiple cities. You know, there were four churches that Paul founded during his first missionary journey in the province of Galatia, a Roman province, which is modern-day Turkey near Syria. The churches were Antioch of Pisidia, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. So he's addressing all four churches here in this letter. Incidentally, that latter city, Derbe, is where Paul met Timothy, who would become his protege and his successor. So anyway, the audience, uh, it's important to note, was Gentiles, which is important because they were saved, as Gentiles were, individually by faith and not nationally by religion. Right. So these were Christians, but they were Gentile Christians. Correct. Moving on, what would the context be? Well, it's about 50 years after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Paul is mainly writing to defend justification by faith, a rebuke of false teachers, which in Scripture are called Judaizers. And they tried to undermine justification by faith by teaching that believers must first become Jewish converts and submit to Mosaic law before they could become real Christians. And, you know, kind of like Arminian theology today, and in, in somewhat that, you know, it's, it's not just faith that keeps someone saved, right. but it's also works that's added to a grace. In other words, it's faith plus works to hold on to eternal life. Yeah, really any denomination, and we can name some others, not to that get controversial, that, that teach that you need to constantly follow works and dogma and doctrine in order to maintain your salvation somehow. Exactly. So, I mean, um, you know, I hate to categorize Christians. I really, really do, and Jordan and I feel the same. But, you know, I guess you could say in a sense that, you know, pure evangelical Christianity would have to be the definition of understanding that salvation is by grace through faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. So anytime we add anything that would come from us or anything that would be necessary from a Christian to retain eternal life, now we're, you know, possibly going into, you know, a, a cult type of Christianity. So, you know, just something that we have to be careful about. Yeah, and the situation here is that obviously there, we're, we're changing from, you know, salvation is of the Jews from Israel, which was very legalistic, and there are lots of rituals, Levitican law, to a time when it was by grace, so there was a struggle there, and, and there were some false teachers that came in. For example, Acts 15.1 says that some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, the, the believers, saying, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. So, you know, this caused a lot of dissension and debate, and it led to a, a big meeting of the church leaders in Jerusalem that's known as the Jerusalem Council. Right, Jordan, and the details are in Acts chapter 15, actually. So here's a summary of that. Some former Pharisees argue that the Judaizer case for circumcision, for instance, and following the law... Um, but correct. But the Apostle Peter argued against these practices by saying, Why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. So, in other words, the early church was wrestling with salvation by works, which was the old way, versus salvation by grace through faith. And as we mentioned, it's because they were in transition from being Jews to being Christians and didn't yet understand the true purpose of works. 
You see, the Jews believed it was how you earned your salvation, but God was helping them to see it's how you earn spiritual rewards, not salvation. And that salvation had always been by God's grace and was not something that could be earned. Yeah, and anyway, it was James who came up with this compromise that won the council, actually, and he said, It is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, but that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols and from fornication and from what is strangled and from blood, which obviously are, you know, traditions and works. Right. And, you know, this was not because it was necessary for salvation or for being a good Christian, if you will, but in order to prevent stumbling blocks and offenses that might inhibit the spreading of the good news. Yeah, so just like, you know, Congress debates things and compromises today, these men came together and there were two factions, and, and James, the brother of Jesus, came up with kind of the, the compromise that, that saved the day. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, it, it involves some, you know, technicalities. Okay, they will abstain from blood and some of the things that are really bothering you that you're worried about, but we're not going to tell them they have to become Jewish and get circumcised in order to be, to be saved because that's just wrong. Sure. So that, so that became the official decree, and it went out, but, you know, that didn't stop the Judaizers from stop Judaizing, particularly in the further away churches. And, you know, Paul discovered that the Galatian churches were especially susceptible to this false teaching, and that's why he wrote this letter, and he had some pretty strong words for them. You know, starting in verse 6 of chapter 1, he writes, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another gospel. There are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. Yeah, and for good measure, Jordan, let's also add verse 9 in there. And that reads, As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. So he repeats it, yeah. Yeah, so... Then Paul fills in some details about the Jerusalem Council, and he says he went to make his case because of a revelation that he received from God, and we read that in verse 2, and he mentioned some intrigue where the Judaizers here were trying to undermine him, but he reveals that they agreed his gospel was correct, and they did not try to force circumcision or other rules on them. Yeah, he's given us the inside story a little bit in Galatians about what happened at that council, um, he also happens to, in this letter, call out the Apostle Peter. Now, we saw where in the account in Acts, the Apostle Peter is the one that sort of defended the, the right argument, if you will. But, um, but, but Paul doesn't let him off the hook because he says, you know, prior to the coming of certain men from James, Peter used to eat with the Gentiles. And then when they came, he started to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing that the party of circumcision, which is the Judaizers, would, you know, would judge him, essentially. Right. And then it says, the rest of the Jews joined him in this hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by the, their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, in the presence of all, if you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you now compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? So he kind of just called them out for hypocrisy in front of everybody. Exactly. And if you think about it, too, um, you know, spiritually and scripturally speaking, we actually can see here that there's obviously a higher spiritual level for Paul versus Peter. Even though Peter was the rock of the church, we see that though Paul, you know, didn't physically walk and spend time with Jesus during his time on earth before Pentecost, he did spend time with him directly you know, when he was in Arabia and, and received, you know, what, what he called his gospel. But just based on, you know, the way he felt uh, 
the way Peter was, you know, I guess kind of falling away from his initial stance and, and again, kind of creating a click with the Jews again. You know, mm-hmm. maybe he was embarrassed of some of the Gentiles. We don't know today. We couldn't imagine. But, you know, maybe it, they were kind of considered barbarians in a sense to the Jews, right? Right. So even even the slightest thing sometimes we don't realize as Christians can segregate us into denominations. You know, certain churches that, you know, they require you wear a three-piece suit every Sunday. Um, you know, and then there's other churches that those churches might say they're liberal because you could walk in with jeans and a t-shirt or what have you. And But yet at the end of the day, it's, you know, we're unified in the love of Christ, and that's what's key. And when people start to, you know, isolate themselves or separate themselves because of, you know, different, uh, like a caste system, if you will, or, you know, different grades of whether it's financial or spiritual, different levels that, you know, that we, we learn here between what happened with Peter and Paul. It should never be so. And and because of that, we know that God used Paul thoroughly by the, the many books that he wrote by the Holy Spirit, and we know that Peter just had a few. So it's just something to think about, you know, something to consider. And, you know, later in chapter 2, Jordan also, he gives us this amazing defense of salvation by grace, and, and he says, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died died needlessly. I think that's just a, a, a very crucial scripture to understand Paul's heart and how Christians need to be the same way. Okay, and then, Andy, to quickly summarize chapter 3, which precedes our reading today, we find this famous passage there. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. So now we're ready to attempt an explanation. Let's start by rereading and breaking down our scripture reading. Backing up to the beginning of Galatians 4. Andy? Sure, Jordan. We'll start with verse 1. Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is an owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So at the end of the last chapter, Paul taught that Christians, whether Jewish or not, are heirs according to the promises made to Abraham. We just heard that. But what does that mean? What was that promise, Andy? Well, in a nutshell, it was earthly promises, Jordan. God promised Abraham land, an earthly territory, and you could read that in Genesis 15. And by prophecy, we understand this to be an earthly kingdom, in other words. So the final fulfillment of that promise will not come until after the tribulation, when Israel is fully restored and the events in Revelation chapter 20 come to pass. That's when Jesus returns and establishes his earthly kingdom for a thousand years. Right, so Paul says that if we belong to Christ, we are heirs of that great Jewish promise. That is, we are heirs of the kingdom, essentially. And here he explains why these Gentile believers don't have to add any works of the law to that equation in order to have that privilege. He says that the law made heirs slaves, but it was necessary because they were children at that time and needed that type of guardianship and management. But he foreshadows in saying that until the date set by the Father. Right. So if we jump to Galatians 4.3, it reads, So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. And by we, he means God's people again. And he's speaking of the Jews before the Gentiles were grafted in. 
and the elemental things of the world is probably better translated as rudimentary teachings or principles. And for example, verse 11 reads, you observe days and months and seasons and years. And Paul is suggesting religious rules here and rituals and that they're only necessary for the immature and childish, by the way. And, um, you know, all of this applies to the church today. It's important that we know that. And even though Paul is talking about the Jews under the Mosaic law. Yeah, today we have a version of Judaizers, uh, you know, legalistic types who try to make Christianity about church dogma. We talked about that already. And, um, you know, similarly, they prevent Christians from growing up and maturing by treating them like children who must be held in bondage to these rudimentary rules and regulations and principles. They, they don't have a chance to grow. You know, and on top of this, they only ever feed that, that flock milk, which is, again, the rudimentary teachings and elementary principles that we see in Hebrews 5 and 6. You know, withholding the meat of the, of the word, the deeper teachings. Exactly. So moving on to the, to the next verse in, in Galatians 4, 4 to 5, it reads, But when the fullness of the time came... God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. So here's the first verse of our scripture reading, the Christmas verse, as Jordan mentioned earlier. And notice that the second verse, verse 5, is more important in context, if you will. Paul is actually explaining that Jesus was set to redeem those under the law, and for a purpose. Right. First, that redemption refers to buying with a price. As Pastor Whipple used to say, the founder of our ministry, the Jews were saved on a layaway plan. They were saved as a nation, doing certain works under the law that looked forward to the coming Messiah in faith. When he arrived, he paid the final price for their redemption, culminating their salvation. But then Paul also explains what that culmination was. It was the adoption as sons. And this goes back to airship and another concept that Pastor Whipple taught us. He explained that the Jewish adoption was actually different than adoption today. In one sense, Paul is talking about adoption as we know it because he's talking about Gentile believers who are adopted into God's chosen people. But recall, he also mentioned that when an heir is a child, he is no different than a slave even. And there he was speaking of the Jews under the law at the time. And Pastor Whipple taught that in the old Jewish custom, likely because men of status had children by multiple women, that children were not automatically considered sons at birth. Yeah, they had to be adopted as sons and, and thus receive the full rights of heirship at their coming of age, which, you know, we call the bar mitzvah today. Right. So um, this fits with the Apostle Paul saying here, Christ's death, which redeemed the Jews, also gave all who believed, whether Jew or Gentile, the ability to be adopted as sons. Right. So then going on to verse 6 and 7, the Apostle Paul writes, Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. So continuing the theme, Paul was telling the believers from Galatia, Hey, celebrate your bar mitzvah, right? You're no longer a slave. You don't need the laws and the rules meant for children. You're a son. You've been adopted with full rights. And you're an heir through God, which means that you can inherit what God promised Abraham. So in conclusion, Galatians is a letter about salvation by grace. It is a rebuke of legalism and the works of the flesh as a means of achieving God's favor. So important to realize. And it also hints at a deeper topic, which the Apostle Paul addresses more in his letter to the Romans. And um, Jordan, if you could please read that for us, um, how Romans 8 is parallel to this. 
Yeah, Romans 8 is a parallel chapter, and, and it reads in verses uh, 15 through 17, and note the similarities. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father, just like it says in Galatians. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children heirs, we heard that as well in Galatians, but now listen to this, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Yeah, so we see a distinct difference here. An heir of God because of God's grace, an heir with Christ or the coming or the coming king if we choose to suffer with him. So there's works involved. Um, grace in order to be a child or an heir of God, the Father, but to be a joint heir with Christ definitely requires us to make that effort and be willing to suffer with the Lord. And building on what he wrote to the Galatians, the Apostle Paul gives us the full picture. And the full picture is this, as heirs, we are fellow heirs with Christ. And this goes back to what we mentioned earlier, the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham is the thousand-year kingdom, and we're heirs of that promise with Christ, which means heirs of rulership. But it's conditional, which is to say conditioned on works. If we suffer with him, deny the flesh, we will be glorified with him. Amen. And that's our lesson, which means we have just a few minutes to explain our initiative, Get 20, Give 20. Get 20 is our reminder that you can get a 20-minute Bible study anytime you like by visiting our website. We archive all lessons and make them available for free at 20minutebiblestudies.org. You can listen online or download them for later or even subscribe to the podcast version and have new lessons automatically delivered to your favorite smart device. Even more important, our website is the place where you can join in our Bible studies by sharing your comments and asking any questions you may have. And we have a growing Facebook community and a discussion forum. When you're on our site, you should also sign up for email alerts so we can let you know when new lessons have been added. Also, when you sign up for email alerts, our first email back to you will include a link to a special series we put together titled 10 Mind-Blowing Things You Didn't Know Were in the Bible. It's an eye-opening set of Bible lessons, and it's our little thank you for joining our online community. It's all online at 20minutebiblestudies.org. Or, if you don't want to type so much, 20mbs.org will get you there faster. Moving on to Give 20. This is our special initiative to reach as many spiritually hungry Christians as we can. We know so many Christians find it hard to make time to study God's Word and then feel guilty they're unable to do it. Studying the Word of God is so vital to our spiritual growth, and yet it can be so hard sometimes to find a good study group and then attend that group on a regular basis. This is why we created 20-Minute Bible Studies. Everyone can find 20 minutes for God, and now, with this audio program, that's all Christians will need. They can listen to a Bible study whenever and wherever they like. The Give 20 initiative is your chance to participate in this great ministry and receive the special blessings that come from spreading God's Word. By giving just $20 per month, you can help us create more lessons and reach more believers than ever before. Plus, we pledge that every cent you contribute will go directly toward recording and broadcasting more lessons like the one you heard today. And since our ministry is an official nonprofit registered with the government, your donation is also fully tax-deductible. To join our Give 20 initiative, visit 20mbs.org and click Donate. And finally, 20-Minute Bible Studies is a ministry of Mysteries of the Kingdom, a nonprofit organization dedicated to educating Christians in preparation for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
If you liked what you heard today and want to go deeper into God's Word, we strongly recommend you visit the website of Mysteries of the Kingdom, MOTK.org. Yes, these radio studies are just 20 minutes, but our MOTK lessons last as long as needed to fully understand whatever passage of Scripture we're studying. So if you're interested in learning more about what you heard today, you'll definitely want to check out our in-depth, multi-part studies, which are available for free at MOTK.org. Thank you so much for your 20 minutes. I'm Andy Bailey. And I'm Jordan Pine. May God bless you. Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple, to the Abundant Life Worship Center for the music for our show, and to Tom Pine for our scripture reading. I'm Steve Zioli, and until next time, may the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. All rights reserved, Mysteries of the Kingdom Incorporated.